coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 20th of August, 2023, The Barnabas Project. invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the fourth chapter in the book of Colossians as we come to close to the end of this book and the study uh, of this letter to the church at Colossae. We're in the section that people speed read through. It is the portion that people go, okay, He's done now. He's just saying hi to some people and we're out of here. And we're going to do just the opposite. We're going to stop and pause. Just a reminder where, why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. He was addressing the issues that they were facing there in the church in Colossae. Paul was in prison in Rome. He was writing to a group of people that he only knew by reputation. He had some shared experiences with some people who had come from that church. He knew some of the people who uh, were part of that church. He sent this letter back with some of those back to Colossae to deliver. Colossians were dealing with one critical, critical issue, and that was how they viewed Jesus Christ. And the false teachers in, in the church of Colossae were saying, yeah, he's okay. You know, he's, he's really up there when it comes to spiritual leadership, but because he came in the flesh, he really can't reach that high attainment of spiritual enlightenment. Apostle Paul comes along and just annihilates all that argument. We won't visit that again this morning, but he addresses the idea that Jesus Christ needs to be seen as first place in the life. And of course, he spends a couple chapters doing that, and, and then he turns to saying, what does that look like? in a believer's life as they live out the truth of Jesus Christ being first place in their life. And he talks about relationships that we find ourselves in, that of husband and wife and parents and kids and employers, employees. He talks about all those kind of things. And he says, let us show this kind of life to those who don't know Christ, so they can be drawn to Christ. And in this last section of the book, in the latter part of chapter 4, he turns to some final greetings, and he greets some of those people that he's been involved with, and sends greetings from some of those he's been involved with, and addresses uh, them in name. We talked about a little bit about Tychicus and Onesimus and what they had and what they, what they taught by their very lives, how they demonstrated the fact that they had put Christ in their life. Especially Onesimus, somebody who was a runaway slave 
who has found his way from, from uh, Colossae all the way to Rome to sort of hide out among the large population in Rome and in the providence of God, the paths crossed with the Apostle Paul and Apostle Paul led him to the Lord. And then we saw last week how uh, Onesimus was sent back to Philemon. And you can read the account there in the book of Philemon. And said, he's no longer a runaway slave. His name means useful. He says, I know he was useless to you. But now he's re returned to you not only as a useful slave, but as a brother in So we want to look now at, at a couple other names here. And in verse 10 and 11, he addresses three individuals. And we're going we're gonna to primarily focus on one. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Apostle Paul, in writing to the church, then names these three individuals who then are highlighted as believing Jews who have come to do ministry. Not all the Jews lived in Palestine. They were scattered all over the Roman world. And uh, we come to the first person, and I'm just going to mention him a little bit, and then we'll move on. Aristarchus was a Macedonian Jew. He was um, in an area above and to, to the west and to the north of the west side of what we call modern-day Turkey. Now he lived there. Macedonian Jew. He had gotten saved in the ministry of Paul, whether he was actually led to the Lord by Paul or not, we don't know. But he was traveling with Paul. And I've given you some passages in your notes so you can see some of the other references in Scripture. But I just wanted to point you to this one, and that's uh, Acts 15. So if you turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts 19, excuse me, Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus. Now Paul was to later on spend more time in Ephesus, but as he's in Ephesus, he starts speaking and uh, and so, and there was healing that was going on. And what happened was the people started who were being touched by the, the power of the gospel in Ephesus. They were getting their lives changed, which is a good thing. But there was others whose lives were being impacted because their lives were influenced by these who were changed. And many responded, uh, rioting over this, saying, look at these people, they're, they're, they're messing with our city, 
They're messing with our system of worship. They're messing with all this stuff. And a, and a riot came out. And I would like for you to look down uh, uh, into verse 29. And in verse 29, the upshot of this, and I love this, was uh, as people started getting converted, then people didn't want all the little false idols and things that were being made to worship. And so the tradesmen got upset, going, what are you doing to our business? And so they, they caused a riot. And down in verse uh, 27, they were talking about the great goddess Artemis, who had a big temple there in uh, Ephesus. And he says, and when they heard this, talking about the fact that there was a living true God as opposed to this false God, they cried out and said in verse 28, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater and they dragged with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions. Paul wanted to go in and join the fray. And some of the other guys said, you better stay out of this. But I just wanted you to note that when they were rioting, they grabbed a couple people, and one of the people they grabbed was Aristarchus. So this guy was right in the thick of the spiritual battle that was going on in Ephesus. He was one of Paul's companions, one of the ones who was a fellow worker, fellow soldier, as we've used some of those terms before. And now here he is, and they grabbed him. And there's a riot that goes on. And it wasn't until later on in, in this chapter that a town clerk came and finally called, calmed everything down and, the and dissembled the assembly. But I want you to notice it was Aristarchus, who was a traveling companion of Paul, was right in the thick of this. This wasn't just a name that he mentioned and say, hey, our Aristarchus, say hi to Aristarchus. No, this was someone who was intimate with the Paul's ministry who had been right in the thick of it. And Ephesus isn't too far from the church at Colossae. Those two places aren't too far apart. And so, He's mentioned in a couple more places in Acts 20 and Acts 27. And then even down as when uh, Paul sends uh, Onesimus back to Philemon, he's part of that, uh, sending greetings in the book of Philemon. We're not going to belabor that just to say he was a man who we know some about, not a lot about, but he was anxious to be a part of Paul's ministry. We see him traveling on behalf of Paul. We see him being a messenger on behalf of Paul. He was an integral part of Paul's group of ministers. In Colossians 4, we turn to a second name, and that's down in verse 11, chapter 4. 
And he mentions Jesus who is called justice. And what do we know about Jesus who is called justice? We know his name. That's it. There's nothing else mentioned in scripture concerning who this person is, what they're about, except for this comment. As he mentions him, he says, they're among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They're with me in this ministry. And they've been a comfort to me. And we talked about what that meant to be a comforter. Someone who comes along and is supportive. And he says, Jesus, who is known as justice, is one of those. Interesting. So we want to come to the person who is the subject of our message today. And that's the one that's in between those two. Mark, as he says, Mark the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So we want to look a little bit at the life and ministry of John Mark, for that's how he's known, John Mark. And we want to draw some principles out of his life. And these we get by scurrying around in the New Testament, looking at some cross-references here. And the first one I would take you to is back into the book of Acts and to the chapter uh, 12. Let me set the scene for you as you turn to, to that scripture. Acts chapter 12. The, the church has taken off. I mean, it's, it's exploding in, in Jerusalem. And part of what happens then is uh, Peter gets imprisoned. Peter gets imprisoned and he's locked up and, and he's not just being thrown in jail just to keep him out of, out of sight. They plan to exterminate him. And in chapter 12, um, we find Peter is in prison and there's a prayer meeting going on because James has already been killed. He killed James in chapter 12, verse 2. Killed James, the brother of John. This is Herod the king. Killed him with a sword. And he saw that it pleased some of the Jews. And so now he rounds up Peter. And he puts him into prison. And his desire is, is to bring him out. And do the same to him as he did to James. And you know the story familiar with the book of Acts that how he was bound in prison between two soldiers in chains behind prison bars and an angel comes to him at night loosens his bonds opens the prison doors and he walks out a free man and he walks out as a free man and decides to go to a home where they're holding a prayer meeting. And so we see him traveling in, in Acts chapter 12. 
And it says this, and when he realized that he was out, he was sort of in the daze, and now he comes to, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And you remember the story, how he knocks on the door. Remember, they're all gathered, they're all focused in their prayers, their prayers, Lord, please, May Peter be able to get out of prison. Peter's outside. They send, they send the maid. Who's at the door? And she goes to the door and she goes, whoa. And she goes back in and she says, it's Peter. And they go, shh, we're praying. We're praying. <laughs> and he says, no, it's Peter. And they come to the door and they find Peter outside. They said, Listen to what it says in verse 15. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they said, no, it wasn't him. We know where he is. He's in prison. Maybe it's his angel. But still, knocking at the door, motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described them when they finally let him in how the Lord had brought him out of prison. But I want you to note a couple things. This is the house of Mary. She had opened her home to all these people to pray. Okay? And what was her son's name? We read it. John Mark. The same one that we find in the book of Colossians we are introduced to here. He was raised in this home that of a believing woman who showed hospitality by inviting in the some of those of the early church to pray for the release of Peter. So we have some idea of what kind of home that John Mark is, is in. And that is a godly home. John Mark is raised in a home where Jesus Christ is the emphasis. And all these people are gathered around praying to the Lord. And so we see that in this passage in chapter 12. And we come to our first point. There is great value in a godly home. I wish everybody could be raised in a godly home. Sometimes we have seen kids raised in a godly home and they decide to chuck it all and go away. It's a sad commentary. But there is great value being raised in, in a godly home. John Mark was there that night to witness this miraculous deliverance by the living God of Peter. What kind of impression did that have on his faith? Wow. So he we said that he was there to witness then Peter's release. Who was he? Who was John Mark then? Well, according to our passage in Colossians, which is our, our passage of study to, today, we find out in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And Mark, 
the cousin of Barnabas. And so Barnabas was uh, related to John Mark. And you go, okay. But do you remember the passage that Tom read for us early on when we were looking in Acts 4 at the beginning of the, of the church? Go with me back to that passage for a moment. In Acts chapter 4, there was a problem in the early church. It was, a, it was a time of expansion. It was a time of growth. All of that was positive, except there began to be persecution. If, you're, if you turn to Christ, then we're going to kick you out of the, out of the temple. We're going to kick you out of the synagogues and see if anybody will buy and sell to you. And so there all of a sudden became economic hardships and, and inabilities to be able to get some things. And in chapter 4 then, we read that the early church began to, because they were of one heart and soul, that they began to share the resources that God had given them. Little sidebar here. Some people have said, well, what this was was sort of a Christian communism. No, nothing could be farther than the truth. Because when we think of communism, what it is, is they all may share everything, but they have to do it. It's by compulsion. You must do this. Everything goes into a collective offer, and then we decide how it's dispersed. That was the opposite of this. This was, we see that there's needs. We voluntarily give to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, that follows this chapter is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their portion, brought it to the Lord and said, All to Jesus I surrender. Except they only gave a portion of it. And they were lying. And Peter called them on it and said, Why have you filled your heart in verse 3 of chapter 5? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for you a part of the proceeds of the land? Now listen to this. This is essential. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why has you contrived this deed in your heart? He says the problem wasn't that they gave a portion. The problem was they said we gave it all. And he said, you're lying. And so the whole notion of Christian communism doesn't fit in this portion at all. They were not under any compulsion. Peter said, you can do it if you want to. You could sell it and then disperse only some of it. That's up to you. It's yours. Communism says everything belongs to the state. So this notion that the early church was practicing an early form of communism, even though the term wasn't around then, is, is just totally bogus. But I want you to notice 
that in the context of the portion that Tom read back in chapter four, it says, thus Joseph, who is called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, was a Levite, a knight of, of Cyprus. He sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we have the name of one person who got it right. He says, this is my field. I want to sell it. I want to give it. I want the monies to be dispersed among the church family. And it's interesting. We know this man not by his name. Did you catch that? It says, thus Joseph. His name was Joseph. How many know Barnabas by Joseph? Probably didn't ever hear of that before today. Although it was in the Bible. He was called Barnabas by the apostles. Why? Because Barnabas means encouragement. This guy was an encourager. And he was so much of an encourager, they called him encourager. <laughs> Barnabas, you encourager. And so all the rest of the times you run across Barnabas' name in the, in the scriptures, realize that was sort of his nickname. That was his nickname. And that's what they called him. Well, he's related to, to uh, Mary, and he's related to John Mark. So a little bit of background of who he is. Now, where we come to the story of, of uh, John Mark and how he crossed the path of Paul is found in, um, in this passage in Acts chapter 12. Peter had been in prison. He's released. And then at the end of that chapter, um, Herod passes away and the word of God is increasing. And it says in verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul, we also know as Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so we see that Barnabas, who had a cousin, who's John Mark, now was traveling with Paul and Barnabas. And that was to lead to the first missionary journey. So he's traveling with them. And you go, what kind of person would John Mark have to be to travel with Paul and Barnabas? This would have to be somebody who's serious about the Lord. This would be somebody who wants the same kind of things, has the same crime kind of values. And we come to the second point then of my message. There is great value not only in being raised in a godly home, there's great value in the companionship of godly friends. One of them was family, Barnabas. And now, Apostle Paul. The question arises for us then. Who do we hang out with? Who do we hang out with? Doesn't mean you can't associate with, with others. 
But who are the people who are really our core people? Who are the people that we hang out with? Who are the ones that share our values? There's great value in companionship of godly friends. And so we come then to what we know as the first missionary journey. And that's in Acts chapter 13. And he says uh, that the Holy Spirit set apart for, for the ministry Barnabas and Saul. And uh, he says they laid their hands on him after, fa after fasting and prayer. And they sent him off to, they send him off to Cyprus. Verse 4, and being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay? And he says, and when they arrived at Salus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had, what? John to assist them. So he was right there in the thick of the ministry of this first missionary journey. There was John. I wish you could say that it went well from there, but it didn't. <clears throat> and you know, a few short verses later, when they set sail again, in verse 13, now Paul and his companions, so there's, there's several traveling, just not Paul and Barnabas. When they set sail from Pappas and came to Perga, to Pamphylia in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from there into Antioch of Pisidia. And so they're on the missionary journey, and about that time, John Mark bails. We have that account then. And where does he go? He didn't go back to Antioch, he goes all the way back to Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? That's where mom lives. <laughs> I don't know if he returned home to mom at that point. And you say, well, that's interesting. Why would he abandon? We're not told. But we do know something. We do know that it caused some strife. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas have finished their first um, missionary journey. They have come back to Jerusalem. Uh, they have given a report of how God had been at work among the Jews and the Gentiles, and especially as the doors had opened up for them to see Gentiles get saved. And Paul and Barnabas are given this report, and it's a good report there in Acts 15. We're not going to... Uh, explore that too much more than that. And the council decides this must be the work of God if God is seeing Gentiles get saved. And they're ready to go out again. In verse 36 of chapter 15, and it says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city, where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In other words, let's backtrack through all these towns that we went to where we proclaim the gospel and we saw people get saved. 
Let's go back and make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they're getting rooted and established and built up in the faith. Let's do that. And Barnabas is right with him. He says, let's do it. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. When Barnabas raised that issue, the fat hit the fan. Listen to what it says. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. In other words, he says, you may want to take John Mark. I don't want to take with him. Take him with us because he bailed on us when we were doing ministry. We needed him and he left us. And I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with John Mark anymore. What does scripture say? In verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. It brings us to the next principle. There can even be great conflict between godly saints. You go, it's two godly men. Paul and Barnabas, who have shared already a whole missionary journey. They're on the same wavelength. Paul says, let's go, Barnabas. Let's do it some more. But when the issue of John Mark comes up, now there's such a sharp disagreement that they separate. You know, I think sometimes we think that because we're all believers, we're always going to get along together. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. We see, one person sees it from one perspective. Another sees it from another. Here's Barnabas who has a family member. And what does his name mean? Encourager. He wants to encourage John Mark. You fell off the horse. Get back on, John Mark. Let's go again. <coughs> and Paul goes, I don't know if I need that kind of grief. And so what happened? They split. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And you go, oh man, this is a hard thing to take, this division. And what God do with this? He multiplied ministry. Now there's two teams out. Now, that's from our perspective looking back at it. I'm sure it wasn't anywhere close to that pleasant and those kind of thinking when it happened. It was like, you go your way, I'll go my way. And we go, why? What is why would this happen? Why can't we all just get along? But it was a reality. It happened. Now, if that was the end of the story, if that's all we know, we go, that'd be a terrible place to leave this. 
But God in his providence didn't leave it there. I want you to look with me to uh, the book of Philemon for a moment. In fact, you don't have to look at it. I'll just share it with you. As Paul sends his letter to, uh, sends Onesimus back to uh, Philemon and says, take him in. He's our brother now. He also sends along some greetings at the end of that letter. And he says, Epaphras, our fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. This is after that. And you go, what happened? What happened? He says, I don't want anything to do with Mark. And now we find Mark with him. Scripture doesn't spend a lot of detail talking about that. But we've got to believe that as Mark continued to serve with Barnabas, his heart was still in ministry. And what kind of regret did he have for causing this division between Paul and Silas? It's not spelled out. But we know that there was restoration, which brings us to the third point, or the next point. Um, while there can be great conflict even between godly saints, there can be great restoration between godly saints. In other words, there was a time when Paul saw John Mark differently. Barnabas says, he, I think he's still valuable. I think he could still do ministry. And he, they split from Paul. Paul goes, oh, I don't want any of that. But by the time we get at some other passages here, there's some interesting things said. One is found in Philemon. Another one is here in Colossians chapter 4, where Paul says, hey, if John Mark shows up at your doorstep, you, you welcome him warmly. You greet him. Invite him in. Have him a part of you. And then we even get to, to this statement that's found in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul is writing towards the end of his life. He's writing his final letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he says this, Luke is alone with me. Now remember, Paul traveled with an entourage most of the time. And he says, Luke is alone with me. And so then he, he writes this to Timothy. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Wow. Wow. Great restoration then between this thorn in the, in the fellowship and the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. Now this person is great to have around. Very useful. One more reference, and then we'll be done here as far as references. And it's found in 1 Peter 5. And he's just referring about some greetings. And this was what he says in 1 Peter. 
and he's making reference to someone else. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Now, Mark wasn't his son any more than Timothy was Paul's son. But that was how Mark was referred to by Peter. And so we come full circle now. How did we first meet John Mark? We met him when Peter was delivered from prison. And he was there on that day to witness that miracle, be introduced to the person of Peter. And by the time we come to this epistle written by Peter, now, <coughs> excuse me, John Mark has come under the tutelage of Peter. But that's not the final part of this story. I said there can be great restoration between godly saints. My final point is failure is not permanent. Whatever there was there that caused issues, there was opportunities for restoration and future ministry. There's one little bit of epilogue here. Where else have we heard the name John Mark? You go, I don't know. Matthew, Mark. Many who are scholars and looked at this believe that this same John Mark was used by God to write the gospel that has his name. And how did he do it? Many of them believe that he took the notes from his father in the faith, Peter, and put them down under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we have the Gospel of Mark from this, this guy who was raised in a godly home, went on a missionary journey and then bailed, caused the vision between Paul and, and Barnabas, went out with Barnabas. Later on, there was restoration of that relationship and then to the place where Paul says, hey, if you come to see me, bring Mark. He's useful to me. And what do we end up with? We end up with a gospel written by this same saint. Have you struggled in a relationship? Has there been division? There's always possibility of restoration. And God is not through with you. God wants to use you. Every day is an opportunity to serve him. And I'm thankful that John Mark, we find him going out with Barnabas after this great division. And later on, being picked up and put back in the circle of those who served with Paul and he got back into ministry, serving. And then the Lord used him to give us the gospel. How about you? Feel like you've been set aside, shuffled off, set 
set apart and not useful anymore. There's issues that need to be resolved. They said, seek restoration and continue ministry. May God bless us as he did John 1. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the account of John Mark and his life. Thank you that you gave us enough in your, in your word so we could see how it turned out. And Heavenly Father, it gives us hope and encouragement. Things don't always go smoothly. Things don't always go well. But there's opportunities for healing and restoration and future ministry. Heavenly Father, may we stay in the fight. May we continue to minister on your behalf. May we seek restoration, healing. And Heavenly Father, may we do service to your honor and to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name.